This week's episode is brought to you by ThatKevinSmithClub.com. That's right, man. If you can't get enough of the sound of my voice, then you could surf on over to ThatKevinSmithClub.com, join up, watch Wake and Bake five days a week, listen to Plus One, so much more. ThatKevinSmithClub.com. What are you waiting for? Join the club. You want a podcast? I got a smartcast. You want a podcast? I got a smartcast. You want a podcast? I got a smartcast. You wanna, you wanna, you wanna, you wanna, you wanna. Do you want a podcast? Do you want a show? Do you get your laughs from computer radio with this bro, Scotty Mo? It's about time to lose your shit. Everybody's progress clip for that legend, Kevin Smith. Welcome to Smodcast. I'm Kevin Smith. Man, I haven't said that in a long time. Not the Kevin Smith part. I said it a lot, but it's been a minute since we've done Smodcast, kids. Last one was that great Anthony Michael Hall episode. So um, having been remiss, I want to make sure that I feed uh, the beast a little bit. And we've got a bunch of stored content that uh, we've shared over at That Kevin Smith Club going as far back as August. But it hasn't been here were heard by folks in general. So uh, I decided to roll it out on Smodcast. And first up, we're going to do um, an episode of a podcast we started back in August um, when we kicked open the doors, of, well, July, actually, I think, when we kicked open the doors of Smodcastle. That's right, it was July. August 2nd, we started shooting Clerks 3. So in July, I believe we... Uh, we we uh, smodcastled it, and um, we had a series of shows uh, for the opening night, and one of them was a show called Clerks Two T O O. And the idea of the show is that, as as you'll hear when the show proper begins after this intro, is that um, you know I, I've been talking about Clerks my whole life, but uh, there are a lot of other people who've been in Clerks Two. And, um, I wanted to get their stories. Um, I know Shaky, the people that, you know, uh, I, I've been telling clerk stories forever, but then there are people who, you know, have been living with clerks in their lives for nearly 30 years and they have their own, uh, weird, fun little stories. So in the show was designed to be like, let's get all, let's get everybody, anyone who's ever been in a clerk's movie and stuff. So this uh, first episode you're about to hear um, was us launching the show. Uh, and it was uh, recorded at Smodcastle. God, let me see. Let me see when that all was, man. I have to go digging back in my photos. Um, library. All right. So let's go back to... June, no, July, no, let's see, um, hmm, hmm, June, I'm still in California, and then here's us flying on July 5th. And 
It looks like... Um, July 13th. Does that make sense? Looks like July 13th we were um, working on the grand opening. Yeah, because there's me and Jay doing Jane Silent Bob Get Old. There's me and Jen doing Plus One. There's me and Harley doing Vegan Abattoir. There's me, Ernie, Brian Johnson, and uh, Jay doing Highlands. And um, then there is me, Bry, um, Jay, Ernie, Scott Chiaffo. Um, Looking like we did that show. So, boy, oh boy, folks. Um, Good fucking times going back to July. So, this week we're going to give you this episode uncut, and it's long, thick, and rich. Um, But next week we'll break up Clerks 2, episode 2, into two parts um, because it got to even chunkier. And then we'll give you some more of these podcast that you can't haven't heard yet man might as well roll them out here and then sooner or later Mosier's gonna come back um he's off doing his thing and whatnot but he's supposed to come over and watch the movie soon at which case i'm gonna be like sit the fuck down say funny shit um but for now in lieu of that um let me take you back to smod castle kids july 13th ladies and gentlemen for the grand opening um, of uh, of the the only podcast theater in all of New Jersey. So here, without further ado, is uh, the debut of a Smodcast series we call Clerks Two. Enjoy. All right, let's get it started, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Clerks Two. I'm Kevin Smith. All right, Christian, take down that music. There you go. Um, All right, kids. uh, The idea is very simple. Um, I have spent, shit, the last nearly 30 years uh, saying the word uh, clerks over and over and over again throughout my day. Not a day goes by where I don't at one point or another use the term clerks. It's the defining fucking moment of my life and and, and career at least. Uh, my, My kid likes to think not my life, just my career and stuff. But like, I don't get to my kid unless clerks happen. So it shapes the entire uh, entirety of my universe. So I always think of clerks as as me in the first person. Like I was the guy that came up with it, wrote it, directed it. I'm the guy that speaks for it the most. I'm the, you know, I'm the, it's, it, whenever they write my name, it's like Kevin Smith in parentheses, clerks and stuff. So Clerks is something I identify with as mine, not like in a possessive way, but like I'm the only one left in this world who's still saying the word clerks, still promoting the idea of clerks, the movie and stuff like that. Um, And then I realized um, when I was talking to Thomas, who played uh, the roofer, the done and ready home improvement roofer um, in clerks one day, as he was regaling me with stories that you could tell as a seasoned storyteller, you could tell like the guy had told them a few times and like, you know, gotten a reaction. And so the story gets better and stuff like that. 
So I was like, oh my God, like for as many clerk stories as I've been telling my whole life, everybody involved in that movie has their own set of stories, their own set of legends, their own mythos, like around that movie that changed my life, but also changed everyone else's involved. So as I was sitting there talking to Thomas, I was like, that's a fucking podcast, man. And that's how we got here. That's what we're doing tonight with Clerks 2. The idea is it ain't just me, they're Clerks 2. And that allows us to cover both the first Clerks and the second Clerks and any potential future Clerks that may happen. Who knows? So with that in mind, um, we're sitting in Smodcastle, which is built within the same structure, landmass, building, concrete cinder block that houses uh, the very quick stop convenience store featured in the movie Clerks, what I call the cradle of civilization, RST video right next door to it and stuff. If you were to walk out the front door of Smod Castle and you go right, um, you're in a movie. You're walking onto a movie set for all intents and purposes. It almost has the same effect of driving onto a Hollywood backlot. You're like, holy shit, I've seen this before. Um, there's an element of clerks that just never fucking dies. I won't let it die. Um, but it has a lot to do with the fact that Quick Stop is still standing. It's a real place. Like, you know, you can't visit the movies from Clerks 2. Number one, it wasn't real. Number two, they burned the thing down and built apartments and shit like that. Can't even visit the movies from Dogma. Same fucking thing. But you can walk over to Quick Stop and, and see Clerks still fucking outside. And if you go inside and buy something, Clerks is still fucking happening for real and shit. So the idea of doing the show here right down from the end of, of, of this building where like everything changed for not just me, but everyone who will ever have guests on the show, um, because most of them came to the same piece of real estate. Um, I, you know, when we get into the clerks too, folks, there may be some folks that never got this far east since we shot that movie out west. But generally speaking, like everyone will eventually have on the show will have been here before you know, uh, in the same physical space, not here in this room, but down at the end of Quick Stop. So this is the shit that a stoner thinks about when he's building a podcast. This is the shit that keeps me interested. But I'm probably not going to be the standard bearer for the show. I'm going to kick it off and whatnot, but I'm going to hand the reins of the show eventually, um, going forward, over to someone else so that they could continue this on a regular basis, even when I'm not around in, in, in town. Like when I come into town, do shows at Smodcastle, I got plenty of shows to bring with me and whatnot. I don't have to be adding one more. So I feel like this show belongs in the hands of somebody else whose life, probably the only other person outside of myself whose life is so fucking clearly defined by the movie Clerks, the word Clerks. Uh, not only uh, is he part of Clerks 2, he was a part of Clerks 2. So he's going to be your de facto host going forward, but before he becomes the host, we got to do the deep dive on him. So that's how we begin Clerks 2, by really finding out all the memories, or at least some, because I'm sure he's going to continue sharing them as the show goes on. Um, but some of the key moments and memories or memories of, of moments um, of the experience of making, getting ready for making clerks as experienced by uh, the one, the only, the future Dante Hicks himself. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Brian O'Holler.
Thank you. Thank you, Smod Castle. It is uh, a fucking privilege. Uh, by the way, if you, I curse, so if you're going to be offended, you're in the wrong fucking building. Um, but I want to thank Kevin for this amazing idea. I came down um, a couple of months ago when Ernie putting this all together in such genius way. We were, he's like, hey, we were coming down to look at like the new space that is the 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 new stash yeah we were looking at the secret stash in red bank what became the new jane silent bob secret stash and then you were like hey do you want to see the castle i'm like do i want to see the castle we're talking about a building still right he goes yeah yeah, yeah. we're so <laughs> and uh and so here we are and so then he told me about this idea about the clerks too and i'm like what a great thing and then he goes and i want you to do it i'm like what yeah i want you to ho be the host of this show and i'm like okay this is awesome we even get the little girl who wants to buy cigarettes, that girl, like everybody we can get. And he like was, you know, like, uh, what's his name from the uh, the professional, everyone! So here I, we are. I was a bit Gary Oldman about it, yes. He was, there it is, Gary Oldman. Um, the, uh, let me take you back, because this is something I assume, like me, you spend an inordinate amount of time talking about this motion picture. It, it comes up every once in a while in my life. <laughs> um, I've often uh, seen you say, like, uh, your gravestone is going to say, I'm yes. not even supposed to be here today. Yeah. It's, I'm, I'm Irish. We love dark, morbid humor like that. Um, what? Like, it's weird because we're sitting here side by side, the real Kevin and cinematic Kevin. Dante was very much based on, on myself at the time. Um, do you remember how it, clerks first came into your life the first time you saw the word that would like haunt you forever <laughs> um not so much haunt as much as epitomize what what would be my kind of um touchstone of conversation with me with people from this point on mm. from that point on rather um i remember i got a call from uh joe bagnoll uh, from the First Avenue Playhouse, which you were renting out to hold auditions at or were utilizing. By the way, it's still in operation just a couple of blocks over at First Avenue Playhouse in Atlantic Island. Um, and Joe will eventually be on the show. That's right. Joe will be because he's the, the customer who witnesses annoying customer uh, shitting in front of him. Yeah, he's um, the cat shit watching customer. Right. But for years before he was the cat shit watching customer, he was the guy that ran the First Avenue Playhouse, which I used to go watch shows at all the time. So when we were thinking about trying to hold auditions, you try to be as professional as possible. Like, you know, I made business cards and shit like that. So I was like, we're holding auditions. We need a stage. We should do it at a theater. And I can't remember if they, I don't think I paid for it. They didn't, I don't think they asked me for any money. I said, I just want to hold auditions for this. Uh, film and I think he liked the notion because he like well we have actors so this would be good for them right. so I, I yeah now that I think about it I doubt any money changed hands so Joe like uh, gave me a date a couple of dates I think there were two days that we could set up this audition I made up some handbills and hung them around certain places and whatnot you never saw a handbill you found no out no i i was called by joe and he said uh, i just was talking to some young young guys here who want to make a film locally and i'm looking at what the the film is about and you're the 
perfect age, what they're looking for, you should come down and audition. And I was like, when is it? He's like, it's next month. I'm like, okay, what are the dates? He gave me the dates. Now, by the way, this is pre-cell phones before the internet really uh, took off, uh, where you literally got your messages from them. You had to be home to either get the call or you had to have that answering machine to get your messages. Or you slid down the back of a dinosaur to capture that message <laughs> right before it left. Right. And so um, he had called me then, and I was working at another community theater in Monmouth County at the time. And I was like, all right, thanks. That's, thank you for thinking of me. It's good to know. And then that month came and went. And then I think it was a Sunday night and a Monday night was your auditions. It feels about right because that's they normally don't, how they would do. They don't perform. Right? Yeah, it's yeah. A, at most they would do a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then only a Sunday matinee if it was a you know really good show that they're doing four days a week uh, normally. So Sunday nights and Mondays would be auditions. If there were callbacks, they would allow Tuesdays to be utilized as well. So that whole month goes by. Um, I'm home on the sun uh, the Monday morning, and Joe calls the house. And he's like, Brian. I'm like, hey, Joe, what's going on? He goes, hey, I thought you were coming down for the audition. I'm like, oh, my God. Was that last night? He goes, yeah. I go, I go, wait, wait, there's another one tonight, right? He goes, yeah, tonight's the second night. I'm like, oh, okay, what do they need? They go, they're just taking headshots and resumes. I'm like, and if you want to bring a monologue of some sort. I'm like, oh, all right. So I put together, I was doing the play Wait Until Dark with Marilyn Gigliotti, actually. Um, and was I was- she, she played the, does she play the blind lady? Yeah, she played the blind girl. Had you known Marilyn prior to that? No. That was your first work with, working with her? Yes, yes. How's My impression when I met you guys and whatnot was like, oh, they've acted together before, which was true. True. Because you said that. But I assumed like you were like... Years and many productions together? Many. No, just one. I mean, I guess when my character trying to kill her to get the drugs hitting in the doll, I guess that makes it more of a bond. When you threaten the life, where you weren't doing that at First Avenue Playhouse, were you? No, that was over at uh, Aberdeen Repertory Theater, which doesn't exist anymore. Over in Aberdeen, so that means did Marilyn hear about the audition from you somewhere else? No, completely from you. I had no idea who else was involved in that. I mean, when I came for my audition for you on the Monday night, she had already auditioned, I think, on that Sunday and didn't come back on the Monday. And you, I think, eventually just brought her into do callbacks or read uh, chemistry reads. And so I auditioned. Um, I remember coming in and just seeing a bunch of people, a few people I did know, a few people I didn't know, and then sitting in waiting for my turn. And um, it, uh, it was weird because I'm watching these scenes, like people do their, uh, their monologues. And so everybody went up, I think, did their monologues first, and then we were handed sides to read. My memory of it, was there were no sides. Okay, so it was just it was the, all we suggested everybody bring a monologue just do the monologue. or something to right. perform. So I remember everybody's doing their monologue. I go up and do my monologue, which if you have anybody has the 10 year anniversary DVD, the 10X, uh, Clerks X, it has on one of the extra DVDs, has all our auditions. By the way, don't ever turn your back on an audition, walk around like, like I don't know how he thought this guy's perfect when I'm fucking up an audition as bad as Lee is. It wasn't that you were fucking up an audition, but I was like, he's a stagecraft actor and he's turning his back to the audience. Yeah. That's an interesting choice. Yeah, I know. I was like, that reads to me like he's like, I want off the stage and into film. Yeah. So I was like, all right, I'll bring this guy aboard. <laughs> so I what did do you it. remember? Wait, before even that happens, you walk into the First Avenue Playhouse. 
did you check in? Did you oh, write yeah, something no. down? Yeah. So you had set up a survey for everybody to fill out. Really? Yeah. Remember you had a like you, what kind of do you like donuts? No, no. You you no seriously. You had who's your, what? What's your favorite films? Who was your favorite filmmaker? What was the last film you saw? And at the time, Malcolm X had come out. And I was a big Spike Lee fan for this many true, years. Yes. So I wrote down Spike Lee. I wrote down uh, Malcolm X because the last thing I really, really enjoyed. And you had this very, to me, was very, wow, he wants to know what we as a actor are like, which I thought was very ingenious because in theater, it's just, you don't have a questionnaire. Just check in your name. Here's your resume. Go up and do your monologue. We'll call you if we want. It was less that than it was more like, well, if they like stupid movies, I don't want them on my movie. Well, see, like, so it there was you go. A, a way to kind of weed out, like if somebody was like, or you know, fucking um, Ernest shit. goes to jail. It's so weird. I was struggling for Ernest. <laughs> I, I felt it off, but you. then in my heart, I was like, he doesn't deserve that. <laughs> so then I was going for something else, and then I was about to say yoga hosers, but you saved me and stuff. But yes, the idea of like right. something, yeah, yeah. So I, I thought that was very cool and interesting which kind of piqued my interest like whoa this is this you don't get this out of any audition so i found it very cool so i fill that out i think it's funny that each question was about film too correct that was very specific i'm like what was the last film you saw right blah 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 film never movie nope because if somebody put a movie answer right i would have been like oh that's like such a film snob I was at that point. Well, remember how absolutely nearly vomit in your mouth you would get when some customer would come in late at night looking for cigarettes and then look at all of us and go, are you guys shooting a video? Yes. And how you were like, <clears throat> I assure you, sir, this <sighs> is no video. <laughs> but anyone who uttered the word video, yes. was just like, Ugh! it was like nails on a chalkboard. Well, because it felt like, and I know it certainly wasn't intentional, but it felt like, you know, hey, man. Anyone could shoot a fucking video, man. We're making a fucking film. And and I was such like a film school kid at that point. I could see making, I could see that. I could totally see that. Yeah. It was fun. So there was that. And then I remember um, asking Vince Pereira, mm -hmm. um, who was doing the video, videotaping the audition. That's right. Vincent Pereira, who was, uh, who went on to make a better place. Um, he's the guy in Clerks who's like, uh, hey, Congratulations, I hear you're getting married. She's marrying an Asian design major. Um, he uh, owned the cat that we kind of whipped in there. But I worked with uh, Vinny at the store. He was the guy that would, when I say guy, he was a fucking teenager. He was still in high school. And he would come in at 9 o'clock at night and mop the floors and stock the soda and the milk and stuff like that for like an hour and a half from 9 o'clock till 10.30. That's when we closed. And he did that in hopes of one day being allowed to work at the video store because he was a massive fucking movie buff like myself, but even bigger than me. And he was the first one I ever met wanted to be a filmmaker. So eventually, of course, Vinny will be on the show as well. But like when I, uh, Vinny would come over and, and periodically look at like what I was doing from time to time if I was watching TV because I brought a TV in. Um, one day he saw me watching Twin Peaks and he stopped cold because he was a big David Lynch fan and that began our friendship. He was like, you watch Twin Peaks? And Vinny became my mini film school um, because he dreamed of being a director. I didn't think that was possible unless you were born in Hollywood or born into the industry and whatnot. He, uh, he knew his aspect ratios. He was a walking, talking film school. He's the kid that absolutely would have went to uh, film school, but why bother? Because he 
shortly after he got out of high school, Vinny was able to make a better place. Um, so Vinny and me and Walter Flanagan are set up for the auditions. Vinny's running this VHS camera that I borrowed from uh, my girlfriend's mom. And Walter's along for the ride, like more out of curiosity than anything else. Right. Just kind of like, what is this? And like, he'd never been involved in plays or, you know, auditioning during high school productions or anything like that. So all of this was kind of interesting and new to him. And at the very least, something that could be mocked if he didn't like it or something. <laughs> well, of course. So he was there as well. It was the three of us, both nights of the audition. Cut to you walking in. And then I fill out that thing. There's a break in between someone auditioning. And I had went over to Vinny because he's been wa he's obviously videotaping it. He's watching everything. He knows everything that's been going on. And so there were, during one of the breaks, I hadn't auditioned yet. I asked him, I said, um, so uh, how many principals are there? And he said, uh, there's six, but we already have them cast. This is for all day players and extra parts. I'm like, oh, okay. You know, and sat back down just thinking, okay, that's what it was. Um, that was true at the time because I was intending to play Randall and Ernie was my first choice to play Dante. So in my head, the two leads were cast. Jay was playing Jay, so there's the third lead cast. Silent Bob was Michael Bellicose in my head, so there's the fourth lead cast. And I guess the other two were have to be Caitlin and Veronica, which I did not have like anybody for. I didn't know any actresses. And obviously I'm not playing women. Yeah. At least not until vulgar, but um, uh, it was that type of thing where I just sat down. I'm like, okay. And then uh, you said Brian O'Holler, and I came up and did what I did and left. And uh, I was, I, you know, as an actor, when you audition, especially you always go through that audition like six or seven times after you leave the audition going like, well, oh, fuck, why did I turn my back? And, Oh my God, I'm so angry in this scene. And yet, why did I even do a, like a fake kind of affected a, like accent? A, this is supposed to be a modern movie, apparently. And, you know, and so I went, I remember going home going like, oh, you idiot, you stupid idiot, fucking idiot. But not realizing that my self doubt and self loathing was perfect for Dante. <laughs> I should have just gone up and just did the audition, then sat on stage and then complained about how the audition went. And then he was like, that's what I want. <laughs> the, um, I, it's so weird because now I've got to piece it together. Going into it, <clears throat> I had plans. And then plans had to shift based on like what either the audition or based on like, well, two parts. You either had to be so fucking good and convincing or so like, oh, my God, that's the guy that you had to get me off my first choice and have you come back. To this day, I don't know what you picked. Like, what was it that then you said, if this guy can do this bullshit? I think you said, I wish I had a villain in my movie because you'd did. be perfect. I did afterwards, yeah. after you were finished with the monologue. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh my God, I wish we had a bad guy in the movie. You'd be so fucking good yeah, because he gives this that. villainous monologue. Yeah. So there's nothing in the monologue and nothing in the performance of the monologue that makes you go, oh shit. There's Dante, but and it wasn't was, and it wasn't the facial hair because you when I got cast, you first thing you said to me is like shave off the goatee, and what happened later? So I come in that night, 
because we were rehearsing at that point. I come in that night through the store because we rehearsed in the store. And I, I'm clean shaven. And I'll ne- um, to this day, I'll never forget your look. Your look literally is like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> and, you were, and you said, how fast do you think you can grow it back? And I was like, that's my face. <laughs> No, I said to him, I said it, it takes a couple of, it's, I'm very hirsute Irishman. It'll, it'll come back within four or five days. You'll see something. So, uh, yeah. And I was like, we'll push production yeah. for that. <laughs> and so uh, that's, I'm, I'll never forget your face because it was like, ooh. I did. I thought I was like, give, give yourself a Brazilian. And then I was like, no, I want 70s Bush. Put it back. <laughs> um, all right. So you come in for that first audition. I remember going back to the Marina Diner, which is now called something else, yeah. like King's Excelsior, Court or whatever. King's yeah, yeah. some very night-themed or something. Um, and having a discussion with um, Walter and Vinny about all the people we saw. And so you had to be a point of discussion. Like, I'm, I'm certainly not going, I remember Walter, but it would have to be Walter expressing something about you. By the way, this is the first time I'm ever hearing this. In no. all the years I've known him, I am just like you right now, learning all this. And I, a lot of the shit like I didn't hear that you were talking about. I was like, oh my God, I didn't know that. So like, fucking, I didn't know that you and Marilyn didn't work for just together once. forever and shit. Um, I, I honestly, when I thought you guys were like quasi dating when I first met you. Sir. Yeah. I, <laughs> Didn't know that you were just acting the part. <laughs> um, but yeah, man, it was a discussion afterwards. And I have to imagine, like, uh, Vinny would have been pro you in terms of, like, I think that guy was good. We were all talking about, I remember that, talking about, like, oh, my God, like, he was fucking, like, villainous. Like, he came across real good and shit like that. And I think if, if I would have to be Vinny, that would be, like, well, if he can do that, that's acting. Maybe he could do, like, the other thing. Maybe he could do Dante. Um, so when did you get called back? Like, three days later, I think you had callbacks. Like, you'd like to see me again, which was then at did the... Did I mention the survey that you took at all? No. I don't think How so. How weird. I'm like, I want to know your favorite movie of the year. And you're like, Malcolm X. And I'm like, we'll never speak of this again. <laughs> that is true, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm sure unless it happened in the callback because it was at the the Leonardo Rec Center. That's where the callback was. Right. That's what I'm saying. I remember. Wow. That's crazy. I remember Marilyn's callback. Hers very was specifically. somewhere else. No, she went to the to the Rec Center. But on a, did you have different nights for callbacks? Yeah. Oh, okay. That's why. I remember because she then started the reading Center. other uh, like chemistry reads with others. Like she was given the part, or that's what she tells me. And then you were doing other chemistry reads with other. Potential Dantes? I don't know. I don't think there was ever another Dante other oh, okay. than initially Ernie and then you. Okay. Um, there was another Randall at one point. Not, not. Re- I wouldn't even say another Randall. There was a guy we saw at the First Avenue Playhouse who, you know, we were like, I guess, you know, once I was <laughs> like, I can't do it. Right. Like uh, for a long, I wrote it thinking I was going to play it. That's why Randall has all the best jokes. But then I was like, I can't make a movie and be in a movie that seems impossible and like i'm trying to work at the store at the same time so the notion of like you know i i can do it all fell apart there and so i was like i gotta cast somebody as randall so when we saw people in auditions there was one guy that was not acerbic 
Um, but he had a look at least where you're like, oh, he's kind of like fucking normal. Like, I remember I was trying to like do it like Degrassi. Where what I liked about Degrassi was people looked real. Right. Um, and there was like, you know, and I honestly, like, I think ultimately that, and this is gonna, I don't want this to play badly, but I think ultimately that's why it became you over Ernie, because Ernie was too pretty. Uh, totally agree. He's totally a pretty boy. He's still pretty damn hot. And you and and like and this had too much swagger. Like you did not believe that Ernie would even work in a convenience store, let alone toil in a convenience store. I'm not even supposed to be here today. Yes. <laughs> so there was like an element of you that was like this fucking dude looks like he would work at a convenience store that's the whiny bitch of a fucking hideous fucking chud we need <laughs> it's true you're like one power converters line away from luke skywalker and your whininess in terms of like my name is supposed to be here today. which is funny because like uh, people who know the real me is like I'm more angry than whiny. So we're like, yeah, which is so funny because I'm like, fuck this, right? But in but in the character, the way it was written, it was like, well, fuck this. Where I was like, where did I even tap into that? It was just it was that kind of thing where I was just like, all right, I get it. The guy is being shit upon by everything and everyone in this whole thing. I mean, it's part of the whole script at the end where, you know, I'm stuck in this fucking pit of a fucking job working on my day off with every backward ass fuck on the planet. And my girlfriend's like 36 sticks so, like that whole list. 37. I know. And so. And so it's that kind of feel where. What's genius about that script was it was in a vernacular that was so easy to fall into mm. and where the comedy to it especially and me playing the straight guy no less of the comic lines for the most part um, when in doing theater you learn about there's always a setup there's the run of the joke there's the the comic you know straight man and then there's the the one who gets away with telling the punchline and stuff and where the cell of the straight man's reaction completely amplifies the funny line to begin with absolutely so in in knowing that coming from a theater background like i didn't go like man i wish i was randall now don't get me wrong he has hilarious lines but those lines don't really fall unless the straight guy really reacts to it. And so in doing that, it was so great to read because when I first came back for the callback, it was literally just me and you. Mm. And we read the... Uh, and I, I'm the reading... Star, the uh, Death Star contractor, contractor scene. scene. And I'm reading Randall Correct. as I know he should sound right. having written it, but knowing that I'm not going to play the part. So you're not getting the performance you'll eventually act opposite but you are getting the inflection correct so that gives you a place to kind of right so to. we and this is the first time you're ever doing my dialogue out loud completely i didn't do any at the, at the, at the audition. audition the audition so the callback was it was it weird when you were like where's the fucking callback and they're like oh it's at a recreation center in a completely different fucking town bro when it comes to theater you're sometimes having callbacks at someone's house where you're like all right i am not blowing this dude i don't give a fuck what play <laughs> 
I don't care if it's death of a salesman or King Lear. I ain't not doing this. Um, so location was never an issue about where callbacks was. Wait, it's the Harry Potter play? <laughs> right. Yeah. The show must go on. By the way, never read a Harry Potter book or seen the movie. So there you go. Oh, boo-hoo. Oh, no. <laughs> like it didn't make enough money without me. Stop it. I'm sure you're going to the store in Manhattan, right? Only, what, 15 years after the fucking trend? Not like someone's opening up something that's like, I don't know, 20-something years after the trend. It's jokes, jokes. They're jokes, they're jokes. Come on, it's jokes. But um, You should have won an Oscar for playing Dante because you're really mean and shitty in real life. You do have an angry sense of humor. Am I right, Diane? All right. Yeah, see? Um, but yeah, so then we read the contractor scene. Yes. Now, this is my first exposure to your... Who's there at this second call? This... No, just you. So you and and if I remember correctly, I don't was know who it, you had out in the hall. Was like it bringing the, people in? Was it in the small room? Was it the kids' it was a library? Very, it was a no. It wasn't like it was a like a like an office room. So I I think because the only room we would have been allowed to use was the library. Okay. So basically, you walked into the rec center and you go right into the first set of double doors inside the building, and there's a room full of knee high books. And bookshelves. I remember. And a desk. I remember the small chairs. Yes. So yeah. You, that I did. Was that was you had them lined up for us to sit in, <laughs> which was hilarious. Um, I was so like, this is I, the right relationship. Yeah. I may have. I may. Yeah. Right. The tall chair. The small chair. Um, I remember just being like tunnel vision. Like here I am now. I've gotten to a callback of a film, and um, I'm meeting the director for this callback. So I was kind of that thought. Had you ever been on a film audition? Even though this was barely a film, it wanted to be a film. But had you ever been on a not audition a for a movie? Not a film audition. I had been on in New York to do like TV commercial auditions, which mm. is nerve wracking as well because the no no offense to casting assistants and stuff, but they don't give you nothing to audition with in the sense of like meaning and all this other stuff. And you're always being put on tape. Uh, you're videotaped. They give you a thank you, and you, your your videotape may be highlighted to be looked at by some dude in LA who then eventually makes a choice like, and I've been in, when I went to LA to meet agents after clerks, mm. I remember sitting in an office of a potential agent and there's a reel going of people's auditions. He's, it's going on on the TV. Then he turns to me and we're talking while three other four poor fucking people's auditions are going by. I'm like, he's not even looking at them. Um, and so uh, this was the first film. There's audition. a little Dante in that. He's was, not even he's looking, not even at, looking at, at it. I know, I, I actually heard myself saying it too. Um, <laughs> And so uh, this was the first time, yeah, that I was at a callback for a film. So um, how, how, what did we do? We read the Death Star So you, you kind of set it up in a sense like um, these guys are in the convenience store. They're the two convenience store clerks. And, uh, and this scene goes, this kind of discussion comes up about Star Wars and what happened with the, you know, the, the contractors, that there are contractors on the Death Star. And then we went and we read it. And I'm reading it, you know, and I'm thinking, this is this is fucking hilarious. And this is something that, you know, the nerd, the Star Wars nerd, I mean, like, oh, my God, he's right. <laughs> that would have taken contract. Those poor people. 
Like it's going on like as the the nerd in me, the Star Wars nerd in me, like now just so you know, when the the movie first movie came out and I completely berated and annoyed my parents to get me every Star Wars figures at Woolworths on Castle Hill Avenue in the Bronx, where every Wednesday I think the shipment came in, in which I fucking needed to be at Woolworths to go get whatever characters there were. But this is before the knowledge of collecting and stuff. So it was like, <laughs> I'm playing with them. Yeah. You know. Um, How irresponsible. I know. Exactly. And so, you know, and so my friends would get together and we'd like convince, we would plan to see which one of our friends would have their parents buy you get your parents to go buy the Death Star playset. I'll convince them to do the Jawa landing set. You go convince them to do the Cantina bar playset so that we could, buy as a group, have the world I of Star Wars. I believe that's called racketeering. Yes, exactly. <laughs> actually, uh, I did actually run numbers and my brother did for actual racketeering in the Bronx at one time. Not run the numbers, but be the messenger to... to hand envelopes to older people and take envelopes from other people. It was the Bronx. He was a bag man as a child? I was a, I was a runner. I would call myself, my brother was more of a bag man because they're six and nine years older than me. But I This was is more what you did before clerks? Oh no, I hustled pool with my dad. That was my main income. You were a pool hustler? Yeah, but this is like when we fucking, lived in the Bronx. Like, like Tom Cruise? And- yeah, so what would happen? <laughs> So this is a sidebar. So when I lived in the Bronx, I was born in 69. We moved out of the Bronx in 79. So perfect decade to live in the Bronx during the 70s. The blackout, Son of Sam, the blizzard. Isn't that where like Fort Apache, the Bronx was set during that that era? that, That was south of us. We were more Castle Hill, which was closer to Trog's Neck, which might as well be Yonkers. And so... Uh, I never think of you as a New Yorker, yeah, but you are. Yeah. yeah. And because like, I have a lot of the fans... That's why you like the Rangers. Correct. Ah. I was just about to say, a lot of friends... I know, Rangers. But I'm not going to abandon... At the 10 years old, I'm not going to abandon a team that I invested in. It's just because in 1982, uh, New Jersey finally got the balls to have a team. And by that... And buy the Kansas City Scouts. What the fuck? The anyway. internet is going to be ablaze with that Dante Hicks. What a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> perfect. It's a perfect setup for Clerk Street. <laughs> hey, man, let me just jump in here for a sec to remind you jayandsilentbob.com, ladies and gentlemen. You want to buy anything Clerks related, anything Jay and Silent Bob related, anything Kevin Smith related, go to jayandsilentbob.com. Dot com. Now back to the show. Um, so, uh, yeah, so we hustled pool. So my mom would work at Howard Johnson's uh, in Bruckner Boulevard in the Bronx from like 4.30 until like 1 a.m. And so my father would come home. He worked in Ingwa Cliffs, New Jersey, and he would get home around 6, 7 o'clock, depending on some idiot jackknife to tractor trailer on the cross Bronx. So when he would come home, he literally be like, did you, is your homework done? I'm like, yes, my homework's one day. Yeah, an accent like your mom. Oh, he, he knew Gaelic I, and I everything. I met your mom, so I know yeah, she got that so accent. imagine my dad like 10 times thicker of an accent. And he knew Gaelic too. Like he was full full French. Everything. So he was like first off the boat. Yeah, including my brothers. Is that I'm right? The, I'm the only one born here. Is that right? Yeah, I have an Irish passport. If shit gets really crazy here, I can get the fuck out. Fucking A, man. Look at that shit. Um, your family, what was wrong with this country? Irish coming over, taking the fucking jobs and shit like that. We should build a wall in the Atlantic. Yeah, yeah. It's a good idea. 
Um, I didn't know that. I didn't know you were first generation oh, fucking American. Oh, Jesus Christ. I heard it all the time. Now, my brothers came over when they were five and nine. How many siblings? Two older brothers. Okay. And so um, they came over like my one, the oldest brother didn't at all agree to moving to America and stuff like that. So he was a bit of a pain. He still is a pain today. And, uh, but yeah, they came over and then uh, in 65 and then I was born in 69, <laughs> 69. And then, um, and then uh, we lived in the Bronx. And then, so he would come home and then we would go to Irish pubs to hustle pool. And so my dad would play singles, games of pool with some guys and win, lose, win, lose. And then finally the other guys would be like, oh, let's do doubles. And my father would be like, ah, all right. Meanwhile, I'm playing the shuffleboard mm-hmm. or I'm playing whatever pinball machine is and stuff like that. And he'd be like, oh, okay, um, uh, I'll take me son. Right, right. We'll have some. We'll, have, we'll play. So we purposely would always lose the first game. Rule number one. Lose the first game. Make really stupid shots. Like don't chalk up the stick. Make completely fuck it up. And then they'd be like, oh, I'm so sorry. I don't worry, son. And I'd be like, oh, I'm sorry, dad. I didn't mean it. <laughs> and then he was like, oh, my son's upset. Do you mind? Uh, let's, let's do another game. Double or nothing or something. All right. I'm like, all right. And then we kind of get close, not win again. And I'm like, oh, why me? And next thing, they're like, double again. And they're like, all right, fucking shit's on now. And then we would uh, we'd play pool. And I'd set, and if I missed, I'd made sure I would not give them opportunities to score. To, to pocket ball so that my father could then come in and clean up. And that's how I made my Matchbox car money and my uh, my Star Wars man money. Star Wars figures money. And then I also, uh, and then the also treat, man. treat. Uh, well, that's what he would call them. The Star Wars man. Do you man? want to buy one of those Star Wars men again? All right, we'll, we'll get you some of the Star Wars men again. What do you think he cleared off of you? If you're getting Matchboxes and Star Wars men, what is he walking home with from this hustle? Um, he's probably hustling. On a weekend, he's probably walking home it's like $15 to me. So he's probably coming home with 150, 140, 130, something like that. Like, wh- why? He was a mechanic. So, like, this was great beer money and stuff like that. Why, like, did you read Clerks and be like, oh, this is interesting? Why didn't you make a movie about your hustler father? <laughs> <laughs> Who says I still can't? You can. I you know. can. That's fucking good, man. Yeah, That's some I mean, good shit. I, I know the names of all the places we went to. Um, my mother is another interesting story. When she worked at Howard Johnson's up in Bruckner Boulevard, there were many times where it would get robbed. Mm. Well, two of the times in specific, one guy, young man, was holding up, you know, I got a gun in his jacket. I got a gun. I got a gun. Empty the register. Blah, blah, blah. It's a big restaurant. It's like, you know, trying to hold up Perkins. You know what I mean? And so um, the, the woman's emptying up the, empty out the register and this undercover cop came around the corner from the dining area and was like, put your hands out, I'm a cop. And the, the kid made a move and the guy killed him, blew him away. The fuck? The cop shot him because he turned to him. Turns out he just had a piece of pipe in his jacket. Right. Um, my mother had to go to the grand jury to testify that, look, he did do this type of motion. Turns out it was a kid who went to school with my oldest brother. Like he knew him. He was like he lived around the corner on the block. Jesus. Yeah. And another time, it was a gang that came in to hold up the whole restaurant and run the jewels, run the jewels. She had already been through this once. She literally took her wedding band and her engagement ring uh, and put it in her mouth while they were running the jewels on everybody. She's they're like, wear your, wear your rings. And she's like, I don't wear rings when, you know, working because you're it's a restaurant. Right. You know, you're always in water. I couldn't wear them. I don't wear them. And she saved her rings that way. So, I mean, the Bronx was a fun time. I mean, one of the son of the, one of the, 
listen, bro, this this is what made me who I am. Like that street smart kind of don't trust anyone kind of thing, kind of vibe. And but also like, you know, the son of Sam killings were going on. And I remember my dad being upset and was like, I'm driving you to I'm coming home from work early from New Jersey. I'm taking you to work and I'm picking you up immediately after that because women were dying their mom, hair. Yeah, it's mom. my mom. Yeah, yeah. Cause he was taking certain women with certain color hair and you know, then the blizzard of 77 was crazy. The whole city shut down for three days. And then, you know, Reggie Jackson and Billy Martin was like a fucking telenovela in fucking baseball, you know, with the, the alcoholism and, Riz, and Reggie Jackson being so great. When did um, you move to Jersey? 79, October 15th, 1979. So if you're and in I, New York, if you stay in the Bronx, you never go to that audition. Never go to that audition. And um, you become a world class pool hustler. Pool hustler or, or I... I mean, if my father had, my father passed away in 83 when I was 15. If he had continued to have better health, um, he also died of heart disease. So that's how me and you kind of Mm. follow that same kind of thing, um, where I probably would have been an automotive engineer of some sort or mechanic or something with cars because that's what he was. And I used to travel with him on Saturdays to go to where he worked was he worked for the Renault car company which is the french renault alliance right renault alliance i had a i, I had, had one of those oh really yeah holy shit i never knew that about you that. so did i fucking dante and both had renault alliances. real dante yeah. had renault alliances how wild oh you fucking rock man you are so cotton mouth give it up for castle keeper ernie o'donnell or or in this conversation the man who would have been dante that's true that's right if i didn't walk in apparently um, yeah, I'm sure he feels pretty good about you saying that right now and shit. He's heard it a thousand times. <laughs> Guy's nice enough to bring you a drink. You're like, thanks, I took your fucking job like an Irishman. <laughs> I totally faked it that I couldn't act and then bam, I stole the double or nothing. <laughs> I, I think I might have got hustled by you, pool hustler. You present so sweet and shit, but really you're like, I know the streets. All right, so you come into that audition at the uh, um, at the Highlands Leonardo, Recreation Center. Or Highlands, right, right. Highlands Recreation Center. Um, at the, when do you get the part? Um, so after that read, yeah, you asked me. So what do you think? And I was like, Whoa, this is hilarious. I mean, the part I read is good, but the other guy's hilarious. And then I asked you, Who are you? You were like, uh, I was like, um, Who are they in the movie? And you said, oh, well, the movie's called Clerks, or it's about these two clerks, Mm. and these are the two main characters. You'd be playing one of the two main characters. And then I said, oh, when I asked the guy who was videotaping this, he said the parts were cast, and this was just for extras. So when reading it, I thought this was two convenience store clerks reading this scene, and then at some point, the main characters of the movie come in to the conversation and it's just an interchange and then the, they were like the movie Ro- continue goes on and they this were like scene is Rosencrantz over. and Guildenstern oh, yeah. in or, Hamlet right. and fucking you, you were reading these scenes going alright and then Hamlet shows up right? and then I was like or, you're Hamlet or, or Statler and Waldorf from, yes. yeah, like where we come in with some sort of thing so that's what I thought it was and you were like no 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 the, the movie I don't know if it had the, the final film title of Clerks mm-hmm. yeah so you said the movie's called Clerks and these are the two main guys as Clerks um I'd like you to play that part. What do you think? I'm like, oh, that's great. And then uh, you're like, I think I may want to have you come back. I think I may want to have you back again to uh, read opposite some of the other actors. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. And then that's when you, I think, brought in Marilyn. Who at that point was Did not like- know that I was a part of this. 
So who saw then, you and was like, oh my God. Oh my God, yeah, exactly. She must have thought you were fucking stalking her, dude. Like, all of a sudden, you, she's like, you're here too? What are the chances? You're like, yeah, what are the chances? <laughs> no, um, I don't remember, like, what it, it was nice to see her uh, because we had such great chemistry from doing uh, Wait Until Dark, mm. where it was like, well, if, if I could try to attempt to kill her, totally I could fall in love with her as well. Um, and so there it was. And uh, next thing you know, we had that read through. You liked how, I guess, me and her read against each other. Um, and then the next thing you know, I think it was like a week or so later, you were like asking for schedules to come down to rehearse here at the store after your shift. Unbelievable. And then we would go over to the video store where it was more quiet to just do to rehearse, rehearse. as well. Yeah. Um, I remember uh, the story I tell is we shot for 21 days. But I say we rehearsed, and we shot 21 days straight, like mm -hmm. in a row. But I say we rehearsed for a month. Did that seem Yeah, that was about right. That was about right. Yeah. And that wasn't like every day for a month. No. But it was, but it was, it was like, like five days, month, four five days, days of a month. Yeah. And it was always late at night, like basically it was quick stop. But we all, had, we all had jobs. Did you work? At, yeah, I, like, was working, I was working at a ballroom manufacturer in New Brunswick, where I was also living. Mr. Not Ice at Bucket. The Mr. Ice Bucket, correct. Um, where uh, I worked a nine to five job. I was like one of their executive people that you know made sure shit got done uh, and then come down here. So when we were filming, especially when it was, it was all overnights, uh, nine to five at my job, um, noon I would, I only lived five minutes away from where I worked, so I'd come home, take like a fucking power nap mm -hmm. for the hour, go back to work, try to get out early by like four, come back home again, sleep until like 4.30 till about 9.30, get up, shower, shit, shave, get something to eat, and then make my way down here from New Brunswick, which is about 45 minutes to an hour, depending yeah, on- Yeah, you had the longest haul. I had the, yeah, and then- Jeff was in Atlantic, I was in Highlands. Right. Where was Maryland? Maryland was uh, Sayreville. So she was closer than you. Yeah, yeah you had the longest And haul. so then and yet we- yeah, you were always there on time and early. Oh, uh, Diane will tell you, I'm- I'm a stickler for, and and the rule is is like if the appointment's for eight o'clock and you show up at eight o'clock, you're late. I'm a big let's get there seven forty five, you know. Uh, and I think that's that was, I don't know if it's ingrained by my dad or just it was just something I always want. I want to be early because I I was a fear of missing something, that FOMA, fear of missing out. Um, and I just wanted to I to this day. I do that everything, especially when it comes to anything entertainment-based. Even at the Comic-Cons. I'm at Comic-Cons at my booth like like a half an hour before the show opens. And people are like, you know, you can come like an hour later or two hours like J-Muse. <clears throat> and um, <laughs> But I just can't see make people waiting. So true. I just can't see make people waiting. So I'm always there early and I set my own shit up. Like even our own agents who you know yeah. who the agents are, they're like, what can we do for you? I'm like, I'm done. By the time I explain to you, I'm done with it. It's good. Um, it's just always been like that in me. I like being places early. Um, let's bring, on our, and bring yes. in our third, man. That's all. I mean, I fucking learned a lot. And over the course of the show, you'll all learn a lot with Brian because Brian's got many episodes to continue talking about like what happened next, what happened next, what happened next. That's the idea. Um, but the movie begins with Brian and you know, Dante falls out of the closet and it's not the strongest way to open the movie. Like still to this day, it seems like in the parlance of our times, that bit seems thirsty to me. 
oh my god and i get questioned like is that kevin trying to make a statement like is brian o'halloran coming out of the closet i've gotten that too they're like were you sending a subtle message to your brother right and i was like no my brother was out of the closet why would i have Which- dante falling out of the closet i honestly legit like was like this is so fucking like i'm so ashamed to admit it but this was me going like what's the craziest fucking thing i could think of and i was like the dude slept in the closet it was so fucking innocent man and yet as you go on the script is not fucking innocent by any stretch of the imagination so it opens with that very dopey fucking visual um you know we find out you got to go to work opens with montage and stuff like that um and then we you know, after the store is open, we cut to picture. As you said before, we're cut to the story. As you said before, um, like you're mostly set up, man. So you don't even really get to make the first impression in Clerks other than this must be the main character because we're with him from the opening. We've watched right. him open and he stuff. He makes the I assure you we're open sign. And he he's the, the guy papers. we're following. But the first performance that has that's dynamic, that grabs fucking attention, that enters the movie like a force and thus establishes <laughs> what clerks will be. Like you one you can't argue that Dante falling out of the closet and fucking going to work and shit, you know, making the sign that hangs up is the most you, you know original aspect to that entire opening sequence. But once you get into the Chulis gum scene, a tone is established where it's Here like... Here come the customers. Yeah, exactly. Very much so. And also just like, oh, it's like the, the, it's the, the jokes are going to be long setups <laughs> with very brief payoffs. <laughs> um, that but dynamic performance, ladies and gentlemen, uh, comes to you from one man... One man only. He's with us here tonight. He's uh, one of them clerks, too. His name's Scott Schiaffo. Welcome, Scott Schiaffo! These are seen best handheld, Scott, to be honest with you. I know Scott knows how to work a microphone. He's a recording artist. I'm sure you've done many panels and whatnot over the, the years. Uh, I, I find they're best handheld. Best, best handheld. Um, we gotta get we gotta get those gun handle grips. You know what I'm saying? So we, <laughs> look, so we look really totally. old. Um, when you first interacted with the notion of clerks, where were you? I well, I'm from like an hour and a half up north, and uh, I saw an ad. There was an ad in a classified. Back then, it was already mentioned that. Uh, no internet, no, you know, it was, we, actors, it was in a newspaper. Yeah. It was in a classified section of, I believe the Bergen record or the star ledger. Cause I would get my audition notice. Check Google as to what newspapers from, are. Cause I have the clip. I actually have the clip. It's up on my Facebook. Um, the paper clipping is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it said something along the lines of uh, indie filmmaker examines the day in the life of a convenience store clerk. 
And I was like, well, first of all, back then, the people weren't shooting films in New Jersey necessarily. I had to go into the city a lot for everything, right. which was fine by me. But and let's put a pin right there. What do you mean go in the city a lot? Did you audition a lot? Were you? Yeah, initially, uh, I had just gotten back into the acting thing in my late 20s because I was doing music for many years and still do. But uh, I wanted to give uh, acting another shot uh towards towards my later 20s um and i started following uh all the trade papers there was a thing called backstage mm-hmm. and there's a couple other new york papers but then you would also look in your local papers and people would put ads in the classifieds and of course i'm very thankful i saw the ad and it's like oh, it's an hour and a half away but i don't give a crap i'm going because people you know somebody's shooting a movie in jersey this is great so i came down and Somebody was mentioning they were early. I'm an early bird, too. I was, like, super early. And uh, it was a sort of a, I guess you'd call it like a seaside town, right? I mean, right along the beach. Atlantic Highlands. Right, right. Yeah, right so on, you right went right to the, the First Avenue Playhouse? Right, correct. So that's, yeah, I mean, they've, 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 they're, we're on the water right, right now. Right, really they got close. got a harbor and stuff like that, absolutely. So that's I'm, right, because you're from landlocked New Jersey. Right. Where they're like, don't eat the fish. They ain't got no water up here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like 10, 15 minutes outside of Bridger Tunnel. Yeah. Um, so I wandered off. You know, the beach wasn't open or whatever as a time of year. I had wandered off on a jetty and I was rehearsing my monologue and kind of going through my machinations and whatnot. But from the shore, it must have looked like there was a lunatic out on the Yeah, this is before jetty. Bluetooth earpieces. Yeah, that's true. So there'd be no reason for a human being right. to be shouting without another person there unless exactly. they were insane. Right, Either insane or possibly suicidal, whatever. It caused uh, negative attention that I didn't want to do, obviously. But uh, when they called me in, I said, listen, uh, if you're going to do it, if you're going to arrest me or detain me, can you do it <laughs> after the audition, please? It's up the block. And you know, then when they realized that, OK, this guy's OK. Who called you in? I, somebody from the shore. They were, they were, you know, to come on, you know, because I saw like. So a wait, small... when you say you're on a jetty, you walk down a on a I beach. I walked down onto very... the beach, yeah, and there was like a an area. I don't know the how, rocks did, that go yeah, out into yeah, the ocean, right, into it, the bay, right? Really and then big. who was calling you in? There was a small group of people, and well, look, I, I knew that it wasn't good, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I figured the thing to do is. Come in and explain to them, okay, listen, I'm an actor. I'm going to go up the block to audition in about a half hour or so. So they're just and, concerned citizens? Right. They thought something was up, like either this guy's a lunatic or perhaps he's inebriated or <laughs> Or it being there. fucking Atlanta Collins. They're like, come here, come here, come here. What's the matter with you? <laughs> What's the matter with you? Smack. Yeah. But I never really, I didn't share that story for the longest time because I didn't want to have uh, negative attention on me, so to speak, even though back then I had a lot of, as anybody who may know anything about me, I had 10, 20 years of alcohol and drug abuse anyway. But um, so, yeah, that was, I almost may have missed the audition as a result of that. But I remember the questionnaire, which I thought was the coolest thing. 
uh, I was super into a lot of East Coast. That was cats. the first question you've ever filled out, I assume, right? I, yeah, no, there right. was. I never had that. As an actor, any, it was just right. like, whoa, they want to know about you. Well, I said, you know, this is cool. He wants. What to was see your what answers? I've never heard the answers. Well, I know that I was into Jarmouche back then, and still am. That would that would have got you hired. Hell, I th- I started wondering if it might have, because I said, you know, this this cat's definitely tuned in because he's interested in what we're into, and he wants to see, you know, if you're going to work with you. Where where your head is at, maybe with the aesthetics. You, know? you got it. He didn't. <laughs> Not he was like Lee. he's trying to get inside my actor head. I'm oh. like, no, I'm trying to weed out the people I don't want to be around. Right. It, was, it was obvious the guy. You know, it was obvious you were really into film. You know. And then, um, wait a second. So when you you come into the uh, First Avenue Playhouse to audition, had you auditioned for film prior to that, Scott? Uh, a handful at that point, because I had just gotten back into it. I was playing in bands for years, and uh, long story short, I just wanted to give it a shot again. I was in a good place in my life, mm. and feeling like, uh, and an indie film was becoming a thing in a sense. And I said, I, my dream was to be a character actor and a musician. And if I can make a living doing both those things, it, it, modest, it doesn't have to be, you know, I wasn't dreaming of being some A-lister. I said, that, you know, the lead character always needs a buddy or the idiot next door or wherever it is. And I felt pretty good about my chops for the most point. Mm. Um, and now I'm losing what uh, you asked me. I'm sorry. No, no, you totally answered. What I was just thinking was that the, if when you come into audition, you obviously impress us because like we gave you a fucking meaty piece and you knocked out the park. But I'm sitting here going, well, why didn't we go? There's Dante. All right. He said it. Fine. <laughs> now, 30 years. What I'm wondering, did he From ever- Ernie to me to him? Really? Because no, I'm uh, for years. Wait, well, for think, years. About, think about Scott in. Clerks, like with the fucking, uh, did you have curlyish hair, right? It was kind of like wavy and like ear length or whatever. Uh, and he gives this like bravura performance. So he's got the chops. The only reason you probably weren't considered is that you were too attractive. <laughs> what the fuck, dude? It's got to be. Did Ernie tell you to say this? It's got to be. The more I think about it, because I was looking for myself. And so I see you come in. I'm like, that don't fucking look like me. I look at Ernie. I'm like, Ernie don't fucking look like me. And I'm like, now this schlub, on the other hand. that yes. It's like looking I in am in the room still, right? I'm not just imagining this. I said, it's like looking in a mirror. So I feel like, because, you know, I've watched that performance for years, and it's a fucking... Bam! You enter the fucking movie. If nobody knows better, they're like, well, there's the main character. He's got shit to say. So, bam, you come in like a force of nature. And I've often thought, like, why not him? And I really feel like it comes down to you just, you had the Degrassi look. Let's put it that way. All right, well, you had the Degrassi think, look well, of normalcy. And Degrassi in Canadian means ugly, right? <laughs> it's, it's French right? Canadian. Yeah, it's, it's Quebec for ugly. For yeah, ugly. Yeah. I was looking for myself and I didn't see... Myself and you, you were too I attractive. You. I did, didn't see myself in Ernie, same thing. But I could at least see myself in you where I'm like, you know, it looks... And, and I was right. Like, I, I felt like, like, well, if he could get laid in real life, then he's me. Like, and you were getting laid in real life. So I was like, 
<laughs> so I was like, "That's that. He's he's me." Like, Shh, she's in the room. Don't be. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh man! All right, so wait so a I come in yes. and I do I do a monologue from the movie Diner. Yes, that's right. You right. did a Barry. I was about Barry to say, Lansing I don't bit. even know what you auditioned right. with. So I did, it was a yeah. Daniel Stern. Yeah. Daniel so Stern's wait, wait. character, so does, Vinny, does Vinny have all these auditions somewhere? God, no. I, I'm, really? Because that would be a great him. way to set up other future guests. It would be mad that, oh, then we'd be the fucking Goldbergs. Right, that's what I'm saying. With video footage, you <laughs> right. know? But no, I don't think he has that. Oh, I don't God. think we were. I, You know, I was insightful enough to keep a lot of shit, but like that, that didn't happen. I can't remember how they got the audition tapes for the Clerks 10 DVD. Maybe Vinny gave it to them. Vinny must that's have what I'm been. But they like would a... have all been on that VHS. Well, I got to talk to Vinny then. Yeah, it's worth asking. Yeah, but oddly enough, was, uh... I don't have that document. All right, so you walk in. Yeah, and... You uh, fill out a questionnaire. Right, which was awesome. You Again, rock us with a little diner. Did some diner. Did Daniel Stern. Shrevy, the character Shrevy. Dan, uh, if anybody knows the movie Diner. Um, and like... Probably like most actors, when I think I killed, the phone never rings. When I think I maybe didn't do so well, the phone rang. And like a week later, I auditioned for a play, actually, like a community play. Mm. And because I didn't think I was going to hear from you guys. And I was going to tell you, it was actually a lead role, which was pretty cool. And then you guys called up saying, hey, we liked what you did. Do you want to come down and read from the script? So the folks at the community theater, I told them, listen, I can't commit because if anything happens with this film, I want to be 100 because I was all about film too. Right. Um, so you were like, look, I liked, I would like to be in your play, but if I could fucking throw it overboard for a movie, I will toss you under a fucking in bus. A second, a second. <laughs> and by the yeah, way, this I, is the first time I'm hearing as as self-absorbed as I am about like not knowing anything about Scott, to be honest with you. Like this is the first time I'm hearing this story as well. Is that right? Yeah. Fucking I've never this. Continue. Yeah, so I was excited to get called back, and it was at the rec center. You, so places. you also went to the rec center? Right. Now, I'm pretty sure I saw this cat milling about. I'm well, pretty sure it's the first time I, I saw mean, you, yeah. Like I said, I walked into that building completely tunnel-visioned. And, and probably on that night, you were like, it's a good thing I'm better looking than this guy. <laughs> <laughs> wow, it just <laughs> continues. <laughs> Brother, be thankful. It was, it's it's a blessing. It's a blessing. It's true. What? What God took away from you in the womb, <laughs> <laughs> he gave he, back he to gave you with you clerks. He gave you celluloid. <laughs> oh, yeah, my God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shut oh, up, O'Donnell. Get back to the gym. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, all right, so you come down to the library at the rec center. Right. Did you f bump into that at all? Like Brian Brian said like, "Oh man, it was community theater. Like we I'd show up at a person's house." Well, with film auditions in the city were pretty just as, you know, pretty much as crazy in too. You, yeah, you had all kinds of mostly the lower east side, which was I was on the lower east side a lot of my life for many reasons. We'll leave it at that for now. You're a couple uh, of New Yorkers. Yeah, no, I was... Uh, and by I was birth, in, you're by choice. Well, no, no, no. He recreated in New, New York <laughs> City. So I said, yeah, by I, I lived in New York City. I actively suicided on the Lower East Side. How many years do you have? Uh, I'm, this past weekend is 15 years without Give a Give it up for him. Holy shit. Thank you. I'm that no angel. Massive. I'm no angel, but uh, no, no booze. Finally, it was bad. But um, that was your poison. Yeah, alcohol was. I was the living dead. In fact, I don't know if you remember much of this or not. 
I've never got to discuss this with you because mm. our lives took different, you know, obviously, and I was far away. I wasn't from down the area, so I didn't get as involved with everybody. I kind of did my thing, got in my shitty, shitty car that barely made it here, and I was, like, happy to get back home into my little area. Um, but you and I had a ton of really great conversations on the phone about film, and then when, when Sony sent you a big old box of CDs for the soundtrack, yeah. I remember and how exciting that was. But... Along the line, I had drunk dialed you a number of times. Oh, did you? Yeah, I've, I've, I've like. Do you have any remember? Ve very vague memories of not you drunk dialing, but but like going, oh, Scott likes to drink. Okay, so you. But not, but not in sweet. a way where I'm like, you know, oh my god, this motherfucker's haunting me. And stuff. You never, you never like, what are you wearing? Yeah, oh god, it was no, never you know, like I, that. I, a friend of mine. But I do remember speaking to you and and drawing the conclusion, but not like, oh, he's got a problem. But to be fair, I I was too young, and it would be years before Jason would teach me what addiction looked right. like. I didn't have addiction in my life. Like my mother, my father barely ever fucking drank. My sister and brother, nobody. You know, I had um, functionally functioning alcoholic uncles, but we didn't think of them as alcoholics. They right. were just drunk. Yeah. yeah, and they were drinking beer all the time. But I wouldn't have picked that up. But what I did wow, pick up was, so great. oh, when I talked to him that time, he was fucking clearly he enjoys his booze. But not like, oh my God, he must be like that all the fucking time. So amazing. For years, I thought for sure I destroyed having any kind of quality relationship. Because of that? I had a friend, I had a couple of close friends at that time who would constantly be worried about me because I, I was really, it was bad. I, there's no way to sugarcoat it. But a cat came into my apartment and I'm on the phone and I'm going, brother, man, I will break balls for you, man. I will, you know, I'm going on and on like I'm going to, I'm not sure what I was doing, but it was you. You were going to break balls for me? Meaning like, you know, you cast me in anything in the future and I'm your man. Like, like you I was were selling it. Yeah, I was giving you like this big heart. And then, and when I went. It, it may have been that. When it, I was told about that. When I was told about it, I was just mortified. And you know, back then it wasn't like it is now. I literally right. would shake the day the phone bill would come because then I would see who I ended up drunk dialing. Because it wasn't like you can look on your, no, on your cell all. phone. You would actually nope. be like, oh God, what Yeah, happened? and then I saw your number like, oh my God, I, I drunk dialed him again. Because it happened a couple of times. But that did, we're getting way off track. It's long after the film was, sh not long after. It's after we shot. This is, this is what I remember post-shooting the film. You gave me music. I did. Which it was a cassette that we had in the car and played all the time which blows my mind that's amazing it was the only reason like scott angley wound up doing our score is because i had asked scott angley who i was the only musician in the world i knew at that point like before we got going and stuff but that cassette you had done was like score music incidental music right like it was no lyrics or anything a lot like of that. instrumental stuff and there was some spoken word poetry there was a spoken there. word like the lady who was like once that's how she began the poem right it was but there called was a once. song that was like a piece of music right, a composition right. and me and scott Mosier would always drive from quick stop where we were working up to the city to drop off dailies to pick up the film blah 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 so we would listen to the tape in the car and during that song 
we tried to make up lyrics because Scott was like, <laughs> Scott was like, you should use this and put this in the fucking movie. Wow. And he's like, he's actually writing music and stuff that you like. And I was like, well, I already talked to my friend about from high school about doing it. And he's like, but you can hear this. He's going, you can write words to this. And I was like, all right, let's try. So for the whole ride, we, we listened to that song and we came up with the lyrics and the lyrics were, Caitlin and Veronica, Caitlin and Veronica, who do I love? Who do I choose? It's Caitlin and Veronica. I always wanted to tell you that for years. Oh my gosh, like that is something amazing. you created, like gave us so much fucking joy. So but yes, the only reason you weren't hired to do music was because somebody else was tapped prior to that. Wow. Where, where would Caitlin and Veronica, Veronica fit in the film? That was the Everybody. problem. It's like, right. you know, well, fuck, where would this go? But like, clearly he could compose. So it's like, well, shit, if there, if Scott Angley didn't exist. You could have used another Dante driving in the car by himself. Montage. Right, right, yeah, montage. I saved that for Clerks too. <laughs> I noticed. That's right. There's no, that's the thing is there's no, I never heard a score in clerks and there's not one like scott angley and love among freaks do a song he does incidental music and guitar stings from time to time but generally it's kind of kind of dry right so listening to to the score stuff you had done it's very you know storytelling it's very like oh this goes under a scene but like you couldn't imagine the scenes even when i made them i couldn't imagine seeing like the death star contractor scene mm -hmm having music under it. Correct. And then Sony was like, you're going to fucking have music under it. And I was like, well, let's put a song under it. Wouldn't that have been weird if during the me trying to find Becky and Clerks 2, that that song, instead of Caitlin 1970, and Veronica, <laughs> and people what are like, wow, this? man, that's call back to two women not in this movie. That's so strange. That's for the uh, Clerks What If series. Yes. <laughs> Coming soon. Um, well, all right, so... I also you, no, ahead, I distinctly remember at the callback, seeing this cat meandering around, um, you gave me the sides, and I read through it, and I'm like, wow, this is, you know, I, I really need to kind of go nuts here. I, you know, this is high energy stuff. So I gave you my best shot, and you were like, wow, that's awesome. Now let's do the second scene. And I'm like, second scene? That's right. And because there's a there's shot, the first just, part right. with with Dave's right. character, and then the second part where you're like, you're paying what fifty to fifty dollars. The second a week. one's the real, That's like it. you know. And I, I didn't see that. I just saw up to a certain point, and then it was Jay and Bob and whatnot. I'm like, okay, that's the end of the gum guy. And he's like, now let's read the second scene. And I'm like, oh man, I completely missed that. But luckily, you liked what you saw. And one one memory I have that I, I'll never forget that's dear to me is when there was a rehearsal. We were in the uh, video store rehearsing, and I think, I don't think Brian was behind the counter. I think we had somebody else standing in for Brian, just so you can work with me a little bit. Mm. And I'm losing my shit, and I'm like, you know, you know, I'm a disturbance, you're a disturbance. I was like, I'm going nuts, I'm like screaming. And out the corner of my eye, I saw you, I saw, I saw Kevin like, like you were, you were like pointing to you to other people in the room. Like, can you believe this fucking guy? He's losing his mind. That's how. I, then I knew, okay, I'm making the director happy because that's always my goal anyway. You got to imagine. It's a great memory. It was. Thank you for that. Uh, it was such a like performance. Like it, it was somebody who was legit acting in something that I had written, which had really like other than high school and the sketches we were doing stuff never happened before. So like watching a dude breathed life into like what on the page I saw. I was like, oh, it's here. 
and your performance like fucking took it up to here. It's like I remember being excited and shit, looking at Scott and being like, "That's exactly what I saw from the corner of my eye." That's wild. And I'm like, "This is great. This is great. He's happy, and uh, I'm on the right track." Uh, Brian, I, I say this a lot in the Q and A's. Brian really set a tone for me as well. Uh, he was just no nonsense. The, the, the day we, the day we shot, the day I showed up to shoot the Gum Guy stuff, um, Brian's like, "Hey, you want to run this?" And it was very, you know, like he wasn't trying to be buddy buddy, which at first I thought to myself. Apparently, I'm a dick. Yeah, I didn't know. I thought maybe he and not a handsome one. Apparently, no, I, either. A very ugly dick. Ugly dickhead. Yet still has two chicks fighting over him all the time. <laughs> but uh, I, but I respected it because I also knew. I mean, coming from a place where. You know, I use method from time to time. The, the last thing we are is buddies anyway. So rather than buddy up with the guy and then rehearse, we're just going to run it. And we ran it and it went well. And uh, the one thing I always love about that, too, is how you had like like I think Flanagan actually does a lot in the crowd scene that helps it up with his improv. Yes. You can smell it. Yes. You know? Like, because none of that was written. No. The crowd stuff. Because I remember we did a take and they were kind of dead fish. Right. It was, and it was I very was, quiet. And you, I was you're giving, you're giving this fucking giant performance. Screaming, yelling. And people are just standing there spitting. not saying anything. Nobody's really an actor, right? And like, there's, there's, uh, there's Vincent. There's, no, I mean, um, Vincent's brothers are in it. There's a uh, fucking uh, Carl Roth is in it. And there's Walter standing there. Right. And then there's uh, 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 Vinny's producer from A Better Place, Paul Finn. He's also in the crowd. He's the one that's like, hey, man, so we're all going to croak someday. There's another guy to get on the show. Yeah, right. So you guys, they're, they're standing there. You, your first take is like what it needs to be. They're dead. And so they're all in the frame. And they, it's not like they were like, well, we thought we were outside the frame because nobody fucking spoke cinema anyway. Right, sure. right. So after the first take, and, you know, again, there were not supposed to be a second take. Right. Because we ain't got no money. And Third take, Kevin starts sweating. Oh, my God. That's when I'm like, we're going over budget. Yeah, we exactly. We're burning money. So, you know, I'm like, okay, I got a great performance. Worst case scenario on these people's backs, we could put in fucking crowd murmur. Mm. But then I go in and I'm like, hey, man, you got to give him something. Like, you got to, like, yell him at him. Just say stuff. Like, Walt's, like, say anything. I was like, just fucking yell stuff at him and stuff. He's like, okay. And so Walt is going, like, you right. can smell Ed you Hapstack smell it. is also off camera going, yeah, smoke my big fat cock. Right, that was the yes. <laughs> Which I thought was ADR at first. That I was, was like, that's, oh, that's Ed. That was Ed from off camera crewing. Not in the scene, right. irritated that, that I had really asked everybody to give more and they didn't. And he heard a dead spot. So like what you don't hear, because everyone's seen the movie, they hear the sound mix. And uh, sound one had put murmur in there and shit like that. But there was nothing. It was dead quiet. So Ed from off camera is like, yeah, smoke my fake, fake, fake cock. And just yeah, to throw it out to keep everyone, give you energy. Gave me awesome moments because it just... I'm not sure if this is the segment that's because the Miramax cut is a little different mm -hmm. than the director's cut of the gum guy stuff. Yes. Just a few moments are cut around. But when somebody says uh, there was an ad lib, it got me fired up even more. I was like, I'm like, yeah. Yeah. You know, like, and yeah, like, yeah. And like, none of that's written and it's, it's really coming alive. You so know? you're feeling it right in the moment. Oh, man. I remember after we shot, I just walked around the front of the quick stop like in a daze, in a good daze, in a 
in a non in one of my rare non chemically induced dazes, yeah. but it was just such a great feeling. I was totally spent, but I felt like we really really kicked ass i remember happy. Uh, i remember you were doing that pacing out front of this fucking building right, right here and me coming up to you as things are being changed for the next scene and me coming up to you and saying like wow dude that was awesome right and you were like thanks man thanks man. And you were just still in your head yeah. going back and forth but you really brought it to the point where i was like man that was fucking lit yeah man that's uh <sighs> you were saying it earlier that was the gateway for in my life, my, my entire life, there's before clerks and after clerks. Yeah. That's, that's how I look too. at the whole it's, thing. I'm sure. It's BC and AD, before exactly. clerks, after Dante. Exactly. And it it uh, it just opened up so many wonderful doors. <laughs> after Dante? It AD. works. No, no. It Dante happens. Everything okay. happens after that's Dante. True. My house, for the longest time, I always called it, this is the house that Dante built. Nice. The character, not the real guy. <laughs> no, no, no. But I, that would be Ernie. Listen, look, look. I know that if I ever knocked on that door where you live, and I'm like, "Yo, man, I have nowhere to stay tonight," oh. you'd be like, "Totally, the pool house is totally open." <laughs> <laughs> no, I'd be like, "Bry, you earned me at least a deck chair. Go sleep on one of those." It's a, it is a gorgeous pool. I'm not going to lie. It is the top floor too, so I'm, I'm happy. It's a dangerous pool, is what it is. Oh, is it? Yeah, because it could always like fucking crash and go down into the house, flood the house. We were always well. That terrified. was like that. Happened an Affleck, you had that shit straight down. That's true, <laughs> very true. Before um, you're about to move in, too. That's well, no, that happened to us on our watch. Oh. It wasn't the pool though; it was the it, the Diet Coke machine that flooded. Oh, I thought it was the pool. You're I, making I me talking. sound so bougie with a pool and a Diet Coke machine. <laughs> Shut the fuck up! I'm trying to relate. It was the pool boy. I didn't turn on the machine. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, Scott, what is the weirdest thing that happened to you because of uh, Clerks after the movie in life, like? like shit that you're like wow only because i was in that all right first question which i will ask every future guest is a did it ever get you laid and then the rest is all you after that reaction that shouldn't be the first question that you (laughs) ask uh no i mean the nyu the folks at nyu and the students loved it and i fell into a lot of pretty bizarre crowds who you know everybody wanted to get the gum guy high which was pretty cool for me at the time because I was totally like a partying maniac. But none of that was truly negative or anything, you know, bad or, or whatnot. I remember in the dramatist play, uh, the bookstore on 40, so you're probably familiar with that. Yep. Um, shortly out because it had played at the uh angelica from like it was playing there for months right at yeah, one point played for uh, played in los angeles at the lemley sunset five for almost one year straight um and it played at the angelica i think for six to eight months yep. yeah, yeah and like it was i mean sold out most weekends too and i'd go there with buddies and they'd be like well tell them you're in the movie and i didn't want to pull that kind of shit back then and also too like i don't know if you recall but i i i auditioned and I went about my whole trip with clean face. I was yeah. clean shaven, uh, always. I had gone on a wicked, wicked alcohol and drug bender mm. a, a handful of days before you had one of the first rehearsals. So I showed up with growth because of that. And I said to you, I said, "Well, what do you think? Do you do you should we keep this or should I go back to clean shaven?" And you said, you know what? It makes you look a little older, and the gum guy should be a little older than the rest of these cats, and makes you look a little more angry and intense. So keep it. 
But had that not happened, if I had my druthers then, I would have stayed clean shaven. But it definitely works for the character. Yeah, totally. And I'm glad it stayed. But um, I was talking about the dramatist playhouse. That they, mm. I was in there shopping around, and I had asked the clerk a question about a book I was looking for. And he picked the voice up immediately. Are you shitting me? Because, you know, I, again, back to being clean shaven and the fact that it was only playing. It wasn't, you know, now something drops on the Internet. The whole planet can recognize you in a second. Right. The fact that I got made from the voice was really funny to me, you know, and yeah. really cool. And then, of course, they had a million questions. What's Kevin Smith really like? And blah, blah, blah. Which I would get that all the time at casting calls, too. In fact, I think I got a lot of casting calls people would want to pick my brain about what the shoot was like with you. Is that right? Yeah, They're like, yeah. how'd they do it? And you're like, or, poorly. Yeah. Tell me more about that. You know, tell you that. No, I, was, I, I said, you know, I was very, very impressed by you early on. We had a conversation after you gave me the gig and you were hilarious and you had such a command of words. I was like, man, this cat's really intelligent and funny. I said, I know we're in good hands. I had no idea what was coming, but I just knew we were in good hands. That's a great point, right? That number one, thank you for that. But that's a great point. Did anybody know it was coming? Like, did you get a sense of like this could be a thing, or was it like, oh, we did a thing? When I when you sent the screener, and now also too, I had only ever seen or read the Gum Guy sides. I had no idea what came before or what came after. I just knew the Gum Guy scenes. Mm -hmm. So when he sent the VHS screener. It's the first time I got to see the whole Check shebang. your Google for what VHS means. Yeah. <laughs> I still have that, man. It's a cherished possession. And I was just like, you know, literally draw on the floor. And, and it sounds funny to say this now. My mother, bless her, she's gone now. But she, Jay and Bob would make her cry. She would be in tears just that you're, even if you guys didn't even say anything, just, just seeing you. She loved Jay and Bob so much. Oh, that rocks. But, um... I remember thinking, wow, this is, I was, I was happy with what I did because actors are always concerned and did I, did I do a good job? Am I going to come off okay? I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm happy with my job. Uh, the, the, the dialogue is hilarious, but I thought that it was so irreverent and so filthy, to put it blankly, mm -hmm. that it might not get any kind of crossover other than really deep underground, which would have been fine by me anyway, because yeah. I was into a lot of, you know, underground Nick Zed and all kind of people. Mm. So uh, the fact that you, you guys got the, you know, what, what, what ended up happening at uh, Sundance and then Khan and Miramax taking it and the amount of, now I don't even consider it like for years, I thought it was like a cult thing. It's, I don't want to call it mainstream either, but it's got so much love from every generation that that irreverent potty mouth stuff is almost, it doesn't factor into how people judge it. It's crazy. Yeah. In the beginning, that was something that people were like, I don't know if this is ever going to. NC-17. Yeah. That, that eventually happened. That was too. another very cool story. And one of the, quickly, you had called, we were talking on the phone. Um, you're like, dude, you made it. No, what'd you say? No, not, 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 not we're doing the dance. That was Sundance. But when you told me that it screened at Woodstock, mm. oh. I was just, because, you know, being a musician my whole life, 
was like, well, this is kind of crazy. I made it to Woodstock, but on a screen. And you said something like, you know, there you were yelling over a sea of Woodstock babies. And I actually used that line in a poem in my book. Fucking hell. Yelling over a, a, a sea of Woodstock babies. But, uh, oh, God, I got a million wonderful memories from having been a part of this film. That's the idea of the show, kids. Sitting around, coming up with memories. I feel like I... Tonight, going into this, I'm like, I know everything there is to know about this fucking thing because I, I better be the fucking expert on this planet. I learned some shit to my right. I learned some shit to my left. I learned some shit from both of y'all that I'm fucking ugly. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen of Smart Castle, have you had a good time this evening? We cannot thank you enough for coming out. Going forward, Brian O'Halloran is going to be your host. Once we figure out the schedule, you can keep coming to Smodcastle and watch him do this uh, with everyone that we ever uh, uh, made a movie with or those particular two movies with. Um, for uh, our brand new show, uh, Clerks 2, I'm Kevin Smith. Brian O'Halloran. Scott Schiaffo. And we're all Clerks 2. Good night, everybody. <laughs> Oh, what good times, ladies and gentlemen. What fun stories. Wait till next week's episode. Oh, so much more. Thanks for uh, taking a little trip back into the past with me, to, you know, six, seven, eight months ago, kids. Uh, get ready for more of that. As time goes on, man, time to um, revitalize Smodcast and just keep it full of content. Um, and so this is the way we do it. This is the way we do that thing. Thanks for hanging out, man. This uh, has been fun, and it's going to continue to be fun for a couple weeks. So let's enjoy it together. Uh, for Smodcast, I'm Kevin Smith. Have a week. This has been a Smodco Internet Production. Sit. Only at smodcast.com.